1: Happy New Year! On the night of September 30th, 1985, 65 year old Jimmy Ferreira was at home alone in Yuma, Arizona. Jimmy was born in May 1920 in Endicott, New York to Italian immigrant parents. Jimmy was the fifth of eight children. Shortly after Jimmy was born, his family moved to Sacramento, California. After serving in the Coast Guard, Jimmy moved to Los Angeles, California to study acting. Not long after arriving in Tinseltown, he landed his first role in a movie. In 1942, he played the outlaw Billy Clanton in Tombstone, the town too tough to die. That same year, he had an uncredited role in the Western American Empire. Both movies were directed by William C. McGann and they starred Richard Dix. For the next three years, Jimmy had three small uncredited movie roles. In 1945, he landed a credited role in the film Mexicana. Now he was using his stage name, Craig Lawrence. In 1947, Jimmy got his biggest roles. He was playing twin brothers Dirk and Duke Madison in the film Gunsmoke, which is not associated with the hit radio and television show of the same name, which debuted ten years later. Gunsmoke was followed by four small uncredited roles in four other movies, including Dark Passage, starring Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. Here is a quick word from our sponsor.
0: We take this few seconds off to inform you our valued loyal listener about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems
1: By the end of the 1940s, the roles had dried up. According to Jimmy's niece, one problem was that Jimmy was too good looking. Apparently, John Wayne didn't want to cast him in his movies because he was too handsome. There were rumors that Jimmy had an affair with movie star Rita Hayworth. Without any rules, Jimmy decided to move on from acting. He invested in real estate. Amongst his holdings were two large ranches in Nevada and a popular nightclub in Yuma. Jimmy married for the first time in 1942, but that marriage only lasted a few years. Over the next 13 years, he got married three more times. He stayed with his fourth wife for 19 years and they divorced in 1976. None of his marriages produced any children. In 1977, Jimmy met a woman named Delma Lee Collier in Reno, Nevada. At the time, Jimmy was 57 and Delma was 25. Delma had gotten married in her early 20s to a man with three sons. Her husband was both physically and verbally abusive, and she ended up leaving her husband. Jimmy and Delma started dating and were married in October 1981. At times, the marriage was rocky. The couple separated in 1984. Both Delma and Jimmy started dating other people. However, they got back together after several months. To celebrate, in the summer of 1985, they went on a two-month-long trip in an RV. They returned home on September 28, 1985. Shortly after 11pm on September 30th, 1985, a neighbor of Jimmy's called the police. He had gone over to Jimmy's home and found him lying in a pool of blood in between the kitchen and the living room, not far from the back door. He had been shot four times in the chest and the face with a twenty two caliber. He had been shot once in the chest, once in the chin, and once in each eye. The police looked around the house and they found four spent twenty two caliber casings. What the police didn't find were any signs of a break in or first entry. The back door was open, but it didn't appear it had been forced open. There were also no signs of a robbery. Jimmy had money and jewelry on him, which had not been taken. Also, nothing appeared to have been stolen from the house. The medical examiner thought that Jimmy had been killed sometime between 8 and 9 p.m. Someone just walked in the back door, which may have been unlocked. Jimmy was watching TV and possibly heard the person enter the house. He walked towards the kitchen where the back door was located. Then the intruder shot him and laughed. Not much physical evidence, like fingerprints, was found at the crime scene. The police thought that the intruder went to the house with the sole purpose of murdering Jimmy Ferreira. But why would someone want to murder a retired bit actor turned businessman? The police interviewed the neighbor who found the body. He said that Jimmy's wife, Delma, had called and asked him to check on him. Delma was at Jimmy's niece's home, which is a few miles away. She said that Jimmy had been having chest pains lately and he had not been answering the phone. The neighbor went to the house, found the dead body, and immediately called the police. The police checked the answering machine and there were several messages from Delma. The police went to the home of Jimmy's niece. Pam Dedman and told them that Jimmy had been shot to death. Delma appeared deeply upset when she learned of her husband's murder. Delma and Pam said that they were together all evening. Delma said she last saw Jimmy that afternoon. They had argued and she walked out of the house. She walked around the neighborhood and ended up at Pam's home around 8pm. Delma denied having anything to do with the murder and agreed to take a polygraph exam. She passed the exam, so the police didn't think she was a person of interest. The police asked Jimmy's neighbors if any of them saw anything unusual. One neighbor said he saw Jimmy driving in his car with a young blonde woman who definitely wasn't Delma, who had brown hair. The neighbor saw the pair in the car for about 30 minutes before it's believed Jimmy was murdered. Jimmy's next-door neighbor knew who the woman was. Her name was Sally Cook. Jimmy and Cook had been introduced about a year earlier through friends. Cook wanted to be an actress, and Jimmy was teaching and mentoring her. Jimmy had taken a liking to Cook, and some people believed they were having an affair. The next-door neighbor said that afternoon, after Delma left, he stopped by Jimmy's house for a bit. Then Cook came over, so he left, and he spent the rest of the afternoon and evening at his home with his wife. The police talked to Sally Cook. She said she was at Jimmy's house on the day he was killed. They went out for an early dinner, then, at around 7.45pm, he dropped her off at her boyfriend's home. That was the last time she saw him. The police thought she was one of the last people to see Jimmy alive. The police continued to talk to people in the neighborhood. They interviewed a friend of Jimmy's who lived about 8 blocks from him. He said he had an unusual encounter on the morning of the murder. He said he was working outside and a man came up to him and said he was looking for Jimmy Ferreira's home. Jimmy's friend gave him directions to the house. At the time, he didn't think it was strange. Jimmy's friend talked to a police sketch artist and his sketch was made. The police thought that the man looked a lot like Sally Cook's boyfriend. Cook's boyfriend had a criminal record. He had charges stemming from domestic disturbances from his previous marriage. The police interviewed him and he denied killing Jimmy. He also said he wasn't the man who asked for directions to Jimmy's house. At the time of the murder he said he was with Cook. He agreed to take a polygraph exam. He passed the polygraph. Sally Cook also volunteered to take a polygraph exam. She also passed. So the police didn't think they were strong persons of interest. The police thought that Jimmy's death might have been a mob hit. There was a sense of professionalism in the murder. Four bullets were fired and Jimmy was shot four times, including once in each eye. Also, the killer left no evidence behind. Jimmy supposedly had a business partner who had mob connections and they recently had a falling out. The business partner refused to cooperate with the police's investigation. The police then looked into Jimmy's business holdings. They learned that he no longer owned the lucrative nightclub. In an odd move, he had sold it a year earlier for just $1. It turned out he had sold it to his neighbor who found the body. The police also discovered that Jimmy had loaned that neighbor $500 a few months before the murder. But the neighbor never paid it back. Jimmy was someone who never forgave a debt so the police interviewed the neighbor again. He admitted that he owed Jimmy $500, but he hadn't gone around to paying him back. As for the nightclub, he said that Jimmy sold it to him while his marriage was on the rocks. He was worried that Dama would get at least half the nightclub if they got divorced. They asked the neighbor to take a polygraph exam, and he agreed. He was determined he was not telling the truth. The police thought that the nightclub gave the neighbor motive for the murder. Since Jimmy and Delma's relationship was back on track, Jimmy may have wanted to regain ownership of the club. But if Jimmy were dead, the club and all its profits would legally belong to him. Plus, he wouldn't have to pay back the $500. The police confronted the neighbor about the polygraph exam. He said that he was nervous and wanted to take the polygraph exam again. He did, and he passed the second exam. The police also couldn't find any evidence connecting him to the murder. While the police had several persons of interest, they had no evidence to charge any of them with murder. As a result, the case went cold. 20 years passed by. Here is a quick word from our sponsor.
0: Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show.
1: In 2006, the murder of Jimmy Ferreira was hopelessly cold. While much had changed in the 20 years since his murder, no new criminal investigation tool, like DNA profiling, Help solve the case. In fact, there was very little physical evidence. The killer simply walked in, shot Jimmy, then walked out and disappeared into the night. Then January 2006, the police in Yuma received a surprising call out of the blue. The caller didn't identify himself, but he said he lived in Long Beach, California. Four months after Jimmy Ferreira's murder, his 27-year-old nephew. Rick Costero visited him. He brought his 21-year-old friend Donald White with him. Costero and White had been serving in the Marines and they were stationed in Yuma. The trio had been drinking and Costero started to tell him about murder that he and White had committed. He said that both he and White went into Jimmy's home and White had done the shooting. The man said he kept his nephew secret for 20 years. But then Castro ripped him off in a real estate deal, so he decided to go to the police. The police decided to investigate Rick Castro and Donald White. In 2006, Castro was 47 and he was living in Vancouver, Washington, where he was running a bagel business his parents had started. He was married and had three children. Donald White was 41 and he was living in Bryan, Colorado with his wife. He worked as a commercial airline pilot. He also worked in the Army Reserves. The police learned that Donald White was about to be deployed to Iraq. In May 2005, one of the investigators flew to Oklahoma where White was stationed. He was brought into a makeshift interrogation room on the base. After a few hours of interrogation, White confessed. He said he had been living in fear of that day for 20 years. He explained that he and Rick Castro planned out the murder together. But why would two young marines want to kill an actor turned businessman? There was no evidence that the pair knew Jimmy. It turned out that one night in 1984, Costro was at a bar in Yuma. He met a woman and they started dating. That woman was 33-year-old Delma Ferreira. They had met while Delma and Jimmy were separated, but she had kept seeing and even after she and Jimmy got back together. White said that one day in the summer of 1985, Dama told Kostero that they wanted to be together, he needed to kill Jimmy. If he did it, she would pay him $50,000. dollars and dama convinced White that Jimmy was abusive. Jimmy grew up in a household where his mother and sisters were abused, so he did not like men who hurt women. Castro also promised him $25,000 to do the shooting, so White agreed. The police surmised that Delma wanted out of the marriage but wasn't satisfied with taking half of it if they got divorced. Instead, she wanted him dead so she could get everything. On the afternoon of the murder, Castro walked around the neighborhood. He was the one who asked Jimmy's friend where Jimmy lived. The sketch looked a lot like Hostero. Delma then started an argument with Jimmy so she would have a reason to leave, thus providing her with an alibi. Then that night, Hostero and Rick went over to Jimmy's home. Delma had given them a key. They entered the back door and Jimmy thought it was Delma returning home. Jimmy moved towards the back door and White shot him four times. After the murder, White and Hostero dumped the rifle in the river. Meanwhile, at Jimmy's niece's home, Delma was leaving messages on the home phone. After confessing, White was arrested for murder. The investigators then went to Vancouver, Washington and interviewed Cossero. He admitted to being involved in the murder. He was furious with Delma because she never paid them the money she promised. He broke off the relationship with Delma a short time after the murder. Mary was also arrested. Delma was found in Fallon, Nevada. Her last name was now Troy. She had blown through her six-figure inheritance and was working as an assistant manager at a convenience store. Delma was arrested a few days after Costro. She also confessed to her part of the murder. Why did Delma plead guilty to the murder in exchange for a lighter sentence? They were both sentenced to 12 and a half years. Rick Ostro decided to fight the charges. He went to trial in December 2007. Both White and Delma testified against him. After a nine-day trial, he was found guilty. He was sentenced to life with a chance of parole. Donald White was released from prison in November 2018. Delma Troy died in prison on February 23rd, 2015. She was 62. Rick Castro died in prison two years and a day after Delma. Castro was 57 when he died on February 24th, 2016. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.